Hi, my name is James Ramos. I am a licensed general contractor at Ramos Design Build. While my core business and expertise is construction and development, I own several businesses in two other arenas, real estate, including sales, finance, and insurance, and construction product companies like cabinetry, flooring, and interior design firm that creates jaw-dropping impressions when someone walks through the door. These three areas allow me to be a better builder and solely focused on luxury homes valued at over $1 million. We service every facet along the residential home journey. Buy, sell, design, build, finance, furnish, and maintain. I have won 10 National Aurora Awards for standout kitchen and bath design and build projects. And the Ramos family name is synonymous with thousands of successful residential and commercial construction projects in the Southeast United States since 1956. Let Ramos Design Build help you with the home of your dreams today. Call 813-259-1111 or go to ramosdesignbuild.com. Let me help you make your dream a reality. The real estate market is open. Ramos Design Build is Tampa Bay's premier construction company. This is a program where the real estate experts are live. Whether buying, selling, building, or designing, Ramos has the answers. Now, here's the area's best resource for all things real estate, James Ramos. Morning, this is James Ramos with the Move With Me radio show. We're here with Cheryl Hunter. How you doing, Cheryl? I'm doing great, thank you. Cheryl is the owner of Hunter Business Law. Hunter Business Law provides clients with advice and services needed to confidently navigate the exciting yet challenging path of entrepreneurship and small business ownership. So much of her law, you know, you've been in, in practice, you barred in 1995. Correct? Yep, yeah. correct. I barred. Yeah. Barred. <laughs> Not to be confused with cleared bar hopping, the bar. right? <laughs> yes, Went I did. Under I the, bar, the bar in 95. Yes. Very cool. And then when did you actually go specific to entrepreneurship? Well, I opened my own law firm back in 2000, and I was doing business, real estate, and estate planning, which is the typical trifecta for transactional attorneys. Uh, and then I went in-house, actually, with a real estate developer for about six years. Um, we had luxury real estate developments, mostly waterfront all over the country in the Bahamas. Um, so when I left that in 2009, that was from 2004 to 2009, yeah. so you can imagine it was kind of an interesting ride to be involved in real estate at that level at that time. Um, but when I came out of that, I decided, what do I really passionately love Those to were the do? times where like, this is easy. No, 2004 to 2009 oh, no. is like it when, it started, when it started getting bad. It, yes. Yeah. The first two years, it looked good. But and 04 then, was actually good. That was good. 05 was great. It start, it you could start bad. seeing could see it, it, it though. Yeah. With the, I think the markets that we were in and the level of three, four million dollar, you know, waterfront, okay. you could start feeling it probably late 2005 actually. And this developer so, was based out of Tampa? Yes, based out of Tampa. Mm -hmm. So when I stopped doing that work in 2009, I kind of looked at what do I really love to do? What am I passionate about? And I started my own business, an online education company. And I was still practicing law with some existing clients. But I learned a ton doing an online company yeah. and eventually said, you know what? I think I'll go back to practicing law full time, but I want to be deeply immersed in companies, you know, with exciting right. people who have vision so I said, yeah, I'm going to be the entrepreneur's law firm. I'm going to work with growth-focused entrepreneurs who are starting interesting businesses, growing those companies, and then exiting those businesses for hopefully a great return on their investment. So when you look at your, your businesses, such as your, or your future clients, and you're thinking about this stuff, and you're putting your business plan, is there any particular businesses that you would say, hey, this is the best businesses to go after? 
Well, I mean, I think there's n- never any single best right. business, honestly. I think that um, the entrepreneur sweet spot concept that I think you probably are familiar with from Key Person of Influence, I think is a, a great way for clients, business owners, when they're thinking about what kind of business do I want to get in and start and run and own and and have build a team around, um, is to say, what am I really good at? What can I make money doing? And what am I skilled at? Actually, what can I pull off? So... I think it's a very personal decision about what kind of business um, to move forward with. And I don't think that just because one person might be able to execute in this day and age on a, you know, a cryptocurrency company, for example, uh, that is not going to be for everybody. They're not going to either have the knowledge or the skills or the passion to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there any businesses that are coming up that you think are any um, type of trends that are coming up that you would you know, Bitcoin, for example, like you had said, I, I think that, that you understanding need to create, you know, yeah, I think it's more right now what I would say. And I think in every time going forward, if you're in a certain type of business or industry, you've got to look at trends and you've got to think about how how do these disruptive trends that are happening in the marketplace potentially impact my business? You might think that they're removed, but there's a very strong possibility that those trends, in fact, will have a significant impact on your business. So if you do look at blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, right. all these new coin, alternative coin offerings, as an example, they sound very, you know, new age and out there. And But we're starting to see them get adopted by more mainstream businesses that are looking at them and going, all right, I may have to integrate this like PayPal, right. you know. So if you have the kind of business that does rely on people being able to buy your goods and services in a convenient fashion, or you need technology to talk to it, each other and to handle transactions, you probably should look at, okay, could blockchain be disruptive in my particular business? And if I don't start adopting this technology, might I fall behind with competitors? Yeah, I mean, I was just, just a funny sh- side story. I was looking on, MLS the other day and I constantly am searching like the beaches or you know high-end areas just so I can understand what, where the market's going but there's this one house at the beach and it's you know it says the first house you know that's Bitcoin accepted you know in the you know in the state of Florida this yeah. that or the other you know and I, and, I, and I look at the house and I look at it and it's like a million dollars overpriced you know you want to you don't you don't want to call the realtor back and just say look why don't you just take U.S. currency <laughs> Price it right, and you may be able to sell it. It's been on the market for two years. Of course, you're going to take Bitcoin. You mm-hmm. know, you take any coin. We'll take anything. Yeah. But um, you know, but what's crazy though is that over the course of time, you know, they will probably end up putting in MLS. You know, something. You know, what type of currency is it? Is mm-hmm. it acceptable with Bitcoin? Is it acceptable U.S. or you know right. what have you? Right. And and things like that. As but, far as other trends, though, I think this the whole concept of sharing economy, which you've already jumped on that in the sense of your collaborative yeah. program and co-work spaces are a good example. I think a lot of people, especially the younger, the millennials are looking at the efficiencies around the share economy. So if, again, if you're looking at business trends, how do you tap into the fact that maybe people don't care as much about owning things as much as they want to have the experience mm-hmm. um, that comes with the property that you might otherwise own? So uh, to me, it's not, like I said, any single business that is the business to be in, but it's more really being smart about the business that you're already in and and not getting lackadaisical about staying up with 
potential competitors. I mean, how do you see like like law firms in the future? Like, for <laughs> example, you know, speaking of that shared collaborative working, I mean, do you see it where, you know, typically the law firms of the past were, you know, up in the downtown, the highest floor, the better the law firm, right. you know, the better the window, the better the attorney, mm-hmm. um, better the view. And, you know, all the attorneys were there and it's really a pain in the neck to, you know, drive up and try to get public parking or whatever yes. on the 17th, you know, 16th floor. Well, of you're a speaking building. my you're language because like, when I you're like, opened oh my, my God, yeah, I just I... don't know how people like this. And then you get and you see yeah. the views. You're like, OK, great. But yeah. for me, you know, I'm constantly b- back and forth in my car. I think I would, li- you know, forget my keys like it would i would be in the in the <laughs> elevator like it just gives me so much anxiety oh, no, to it's think so about it. true so so like with law firms of the future do you see yourself you know having a bunch of lawyers planted in these shared offices and having like a little kiosk or a you know drop desk type thing you can come in and ask these and they're like little triage nurses where they're just constantly taking the, you know the input you know what's what's the need and then I'm gonna I'm gonna design a line of law firm scrubs right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I think you're hitting on some very significant trends. Um, just like any other business, the internet, the accessibility to almost anything virtually, people's ability to work offsite, um, not having the cost <clears throat> of brick and mortar space right. um, in large spaces like that. And you're definitely speaking my language in terms of not loving downtown in the sense of there's vibrancy to that. And I understand running into people and all those benefits, but I purposely bought an old, you know, restored, um, fabulous house, you know, that's really close to downtown. Mm-hmm. But it's drive up and park. We have a large parking lot. You walk right in. You walk right out. We have clients that, you know, we work with very entrepreneurial people. They're usually pretty jeans and shorts, and they want to be able to just run in and meet with us, get what they need taken care of, and and then go elsewhere. We did open a satellite office in the Edge District in St. Petersburg Mm -hmm. for exactly the purpose of experimenting with having an off-site attorney. And it is, it's an interesting challenge from a management standpoint to figure out new ways to stay connected with the person that is offsite. You know, how do you um, make sure that they're integrated into the culture of the firm? How do you make sure that they don't feel like they're on an island by themselves? And it, it's been a, more of a challenge than I thought to try to do that effectively. Mm-hmm. So I think that I absolutely, my vision is to have multiple satellite offices in different parts of the state to serve the growth-focused entrepreneurs that yeah. we act as general counsel for more effectively and off on a broader landscape. I know. It's almost like a separate business when you go and you try to combine the two, mm-hmm. which is the first thing is, is finding the real estate and then creating all the parts and pieces and the things that you're going to need yeah. you know, to recruit and then to retain the folks. Yep. And then the other pieces is just running your business, which is hard enough. So. Right. So, you know, it's a function of also time and efficiencies and systems. It's not unlike having franchise locations. You know, you have to have really good policies and procedures and systems. I do think in hindsight, one thing that would have been very beneficial is to make sure that whoever opens or is running that satellite office has already worked within the corporate office. You want to call it that for maybe a year, you know, so that they're fully integrated into the systems and Mm -hmm. the procedures and the culture and are more able to jump on that. All right, great, Cheryl. Well, we're going to be back after a few messages here. My name is James Ramos with Move With Me Radio. You can follow me on Twitter at JRTPA, and my website is jamesramos.com. We'll be back after a few messages. <laughs> 
All right, we're back. This is James Ramos with Move With Me Radio. I'm here with Cheryl Hunter. Her website is Hunter Business Law. She is the owner and CEO. Sure, why not? Why not, right? (laughs) Of Hunter Business Law. And we were just talking about just collaborative spaces and what are they going to do with with all these great spaces that, you know, are out there. You know, I was just in, in Palm Beach this past weekend for New Year's and I was in this little area uh, right when you drive in to, to West Palm, and there's a there's a Macy's there, and it's basically now called the Culture Lab, and it's a huge space. It's experiential, creative space, and obviously Macy's is a pretty large tenant of this particular retail area, and it's kind of fascinating when you look at um, how much space Macy's takes up, and it's pretty much this experiential lab. So it's much more of, about retailtainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you having, are, are you working with either the landlords, the owners of retail spaces like this at all, or, you know, tenants, you know, business, business owners looking for space are being held up from growth? Um, well, we'd from, certainly, you know, as acting as general counsel for growth focused entrepreneurial right. companies, we certainly get involved when they're looking for spaces that, to rent uh, so we review a lot of commercial leases. We talk to them about, you know, things that many of them haven't come across before if they haven't rented large space. So the fact that you're going to have to pay part of the triple net, if you will, you know, what does that mean? Because they'll be like, oh, the rent's cheaper here. And I'm like, well, <laughs> let's talk about the other costs. You know, right. are you covering the build out? Are you covering the common area maintenance? And, and to what extent are there any caps on how much more you could be charged from from that standpoint on your annual lease expenses. So we certainly work from that. I don't have large retail real estate owner clients, Mm -hmm. you know, but I certainly, if I was in that industry, it's very concerning for them uh, as far as the change in the retail market. Uh, I do think there's tons of opportunity for people who are able to pivot and start would you call it retail entertainment? Re- retailtainment. Retailtainment. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, I think that that's going to be cutting edge. We have one client called Venueize. Mm-hmm. Venueize monetizes venues. They have mostly been in the sports entertainment district, serving that marketplace. So, what they do is they aggregate all sorts of fan engagement apps. So if you think of like one of their clients, Emily Arena. So when you go to experience a concert or a sporting event like the Lightning, uh, and what are you walking into, right? So you mm-hmm. have, there's parking apps, there's ticket apps, there's concession apps to find out where the line's the smallest. There's smart suite apps to control the temperature, the music in the suites. So there's all sorts of these aggregated apps that they put together, and they're definitely getting interest from uh, retail mall type of places to facilitate fan engagement, venue engagement right. with people who come into those spaces. So I think that there's there are solutions out there, but these types of landlords that own these properties are going to have to get creative. They right. need to rebrand and and draw people in to their locations through much more than just hey you can come here and buy the pair of shoes that you need. Yeah, well the place that I was talking about is in um, West Palm Beach. It's culturelabwpb.com, and it's in City Place. And um, Macy's happens to be a huge retail space, and it's supposedly coming. But I just can't imagine them paying the rent that the landlord was previously getting. 
So that'll be interesting. What, what are they planning to do with culture? I mean, what's Culture Lab going to be? It's going to be just a bunch of pop-ups with artists oh, and different cool. events and things. Um, so it's like this one particular, this sound installation, this artist, Stephen Vitellio. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this Italian artist. And, you know, people are supposed to go there and actually experience his particular art. And then they're going to have pop-up events and things. Mm-hmm. But... You know, another example, when you walk through, we went to the movies over the holidays, you know, the West Shore Mall, and you see places in the West Shore Mall, which I don't tend to go to the mall very much, but when I go to the movies, we walk around if we get there early. You know, there's space, there's people there that are, that would typically you would never see. You know, there's like a, you know, game, game type, um, you know, game furniture, pool tables and ping pong tables and, you know, arcade games that would be housed there. There's, mm-hmm. you know, different retailers that are completely unique. You know, they would be mm-hmm. off, you know, in Ybor City or some offshoot because they're sort of destination places. Yeah. You don't just walk by and say, oh, my God, you know, I really want to get a $4,000 pool table today. Let me just pop into this store. Right. You know, so, you know, obviously the rent is coming down or people are seeing more value. Yet on the other side of the coin, you know, you look at some, you know, new re- retail that's going up on Howard, for example, or some of the, you know, more popular places that are going to be in channel side and things like that. And the retail has never been higher, mm-hmm. you know, so, so but those a lot are of integrated, these, right. With where people live. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the difference. Is, yeah. And it's becoming much more of a percentage of someone's revenue or their P and L mm-hmm. so that, so they're on their expense overhead portion is becoming higher and higher percentage of you know to run a business their rent Mm -hmm. um, which is increasingly more difficult and one of the things people are calling it is saying okay well we're gonna have to have a location in this particular area and we're just gonna call it you know marketing or whatever but I think there's a fine line there because I mean if you look like Payless for example they just closed like over 600 stores yes you know so there's a lot of Paylesses out there that nobody really knows what is going to happen to those locations, mm-hmm. you know, but they're all the same size for the most part. Yeah. You know, if somebody had something to so do need with, where they wanted. Yeah. I mean, print. they could move in half yeah. those things for probably a third Fast of the cost. Fast growing franchisor is yeah. like, okay, we need these, these locations. There was another location, which is pretty interesting. I wanted to mention this NFL experience is in Times Square. It's reutilizing the old footprint of the, uh, not Fayo Swartz, um, Toys R Us mm-hmm. location in Times Square. So it was a combination of the NFL and Cirque du Soleil working together. So you go wow. in there and you can actually, <laughs> you know, you can actually buy, you know, buy NFL material and things like that. But it's a much more of a, you know, entertainment type type venue. Do they have so, big linebackers hanging from the Cirque du Soleil? Uh, yeah. Those beautiful well, supposedly cords. You can, you can actually, <laughs> twirling. You can actually uniform up by looking in a mirror oh, and then cool. you can select your, your uniform and different you know, different things like that, but it's definitely more along the lines of entertainment type yes. type retail. Which I think sounds a um, lot more fun. You know, if yeah. I'm going to go to the mall and, you know, most of the time you're taking out friends or your kids or something to go do and, oh, let's go to the mall. Um, oh, I love it. If there were more exciting, fun, unique things, educational experiences um, to, to do when you're there. Well, going back to just the entrepreneurial stuff, I mean, I worked in corporate America for over 18 years and I probably, you know, obviously I learned a lot and I learned a lot, 
of good stuff, what to do and what not to do, mm-hmm. um, which was probably the, the latter was much more. Learn what kind of leader you want to be too, yeah, right? Yeah, learning what type of leader. bosses and, that are effective and, the and everything. that are not. But I, but I strongly feel, obviously, America is is a tremendous place to be an entrepreneur, and you know, and it is harder to to find better attorneys and things, um, whether bankers, attorneys, you know, accountants to work with more more focused entrepreneurs. And I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to support a lot of the entrepreneurs that are you know trying to hang their own shingle and do their own thing because there's a lot of good people out there. It's just this, it's just, it's just, you know, being a small fish in a big pond. Um, and it's really difficult to get started. So the barriers to entry mm-hmm. are, you know, seemingly more and more difficult when in reality they may not be. That's an interesting perspective because I actually think that the barriers to entry are the lowest they've ever been in the you sense. Think? Yes. In the sense yeah. that 20 years ago, if you wanted to open a certain business, I mean, you need to, f- to have a physical presence, right? You mm-hmm. can't just, I mean, right now, if you want to sell goods, you can make the goods, go on Etsy, sell them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there's not the cost to, and people don't even put a negative spin on the fact that you maybe are working in an executive suite co-share facility. You right, know? right. It, it looks clever, like it's a smart use. They don't care that you're not in a three-piece suit, you know, when you come to a meeting. So all of those, what used to be more expensive, marketing is, well, marketing can and can't be expensive. Like if you're talking about trying to capture the eyeballs, that has become challenging in the sense that so many people are online fighting for the the visibility of their company that you do, it's a pay to play, you know? I mean, you Mm -hmm. have to pay to get those pop-up ads to come across, Mm -hmm. you know, and be seen over and over again. I mean, I know I went on a black, white market website because I was interested in this new jacket and I decided not to buy it and I'm getting hit constantly whenever I go on Facebook or I'm getting the ads like here it is again it's now 70% off so eventually they'll get me right so um, so it's that part of it I think is expensive but I don't think that the barriers to entry are what they used to be as far as either goods or services just because you can you can market cleverly using all of the virtual and the internet. All right, we're gonna we're gonna pick up on that because this is a great subject. I'm here with Cheryl Hunter. This is James Ramos with Move With Me Radio. You can follow me on Twitter at JRTPA. We'll be back after these messages. All right, moving on with Move With Me Radio. I'm here with Cheryl Hunter from HunterBusinessLaw.com. So we were talking about just barriers to entry and and the difficulty with, with I thought, you know, today it's, it's harder and harder. And you were saying that it's easier and easier. And I think <laughs> that there's truth to the both sides. Yes. We were talking a little bit during the break. But um, from a standpoint of, of the easier, you know, pieces, I completely agree. It's easier to than ever before to go online and create a presence, right? Mm-hmm. You can go to GoDaddy or, or Net Solutions and buy a URL pretty easy. Yeah. You can get a phone numbers galore, right? You can go Google, mm-hmm. get phone numbers, yeah. get, get phone numbers from any city if you, you want. You can hire a virtual receptionist. Virtual receptionist. Answers your 800 number. Uh, <laughs> Makes you, you can, look like a large 
you can hire a good writer. In a lot of yeah. cases, you can um, go and pay people to give you great reviews. Yeah. So in that sense, you know, there's a lot of uh, buyer beware yeah. out there that, that, that buyers need to recognize. And I think that's going to be more and more prevalent as, as more and more people get caught up in, in working with, with not so good business people. But, but Agreed. Um, I mean, yeah. you may not know who you're even dealing with because if you have a website, it looks like it's based in Nashville it could actually be based somewhere in Russia, you know, yeah. who's behind it. And so you, you do have to be a little wary and careful because people can make themselves look grander than they are. Mm-hmm. And the substance may not be there. So that's where a lot of the referral relationships, having professional guides, you know, mm-hmm. to make introductions, to help you put your team together is a huge value. Yeah. I mean, I bet you have clients that have been around, biz- you know, that have been in the business for years and their web is terrible <laughs> and their presence is like their reviews. They have no reviews. And you're like, guys, what's going on here? <laughs> well, we enjoy the, the relationship <laughs> with people who have a, a ability to improve their situation yeah. uh, fairly easily, you yeah. know. And so it's actually kind of exciting for me when I see a company that's, all right, you're already doing pretty well. Right. You know, your revenue is pretty good. Your profit's pretty good and you're only doing this, right? right? So that's actually to me like exciting to see a client like right. that. We're like, okay, look, if we can get you uh, a new director of sales, if we can get your online presence boosted through you know, a new website that's more active for you, if we can get you some strategic partnership relationships with distributors or whatever those things are to get somebody to go to a whole nother level because I do think that while the startup barriers to entry are lower, mm-hmm. Growth is still a big challenge because you need capital to grow. Banks are still difficult to get lending from. If you go through the SBA, you can get good terms, but you're going to have to do personal guarantees. You know, there's a lot of risk associated with the the type of a loan in terms of personal Mm -hmm. risk. Um, and, And so there's challenges once you get past a certain point of scaling your business. And a lot of that challenge also comes from just not the experience of I can't do everything anymore. I'm not going to be the one executing on my vision because I'm now at a certain point where I have to delegate and let other people perform and execute on my company's behalf in order to grow. You have to let go of the reins. And many entrepreneurial-minded people struggle to trust and delegate and that mm-hmm. it's a stymies growth. Mm-hmm. I'll put myself in that category. Yeah. Because... <laughs> How many people are, are you working with? Now? I have nine employees. Nine. So I have four attorneys and three paralegals. And I really do want to grow. We have the business. We have a ton of cl- prospective clients that call. And we're just right. not able to take them because of capacity. So it's a great problem to have. But it is, you know, it right. is a problem. But It's hard to sleep at night when that happens. Well, right? it is. And um, even really good employees and team members, you still have to be an effective manager. Right. Um, and you have to put your trust in that they're going to do the, the work product to the level that you want it to be. What do you think the top three things for any small business that they would want? That the business owner would want? Yeah. Well, they need cash flow. I think cash. that that's critical, that, that they have right. to have more money coming in than is going out, right. whether that money is revenue or it's early stage funding from a company like Florida Funders or a bank loan or friends and family money, 
Um, so you help companies get there. Absolutely. We do a lot of securities work in terms of raising capital, either through convertible debt, convertible notes, or um, just a full-blown private placement. So most of our clients are looking to raise maybe a half million up to two and a half million. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, these are not where they're on their, you know, round D <laughs> of raising venture capital or private equity funds. When they do get to that point, uh, we we do handle a lot of M&A work. So if a company's going to get bought out by a private equity firm, they might be at that stage. But mm-hmm. the ones that are in the beginning where they're looking for the funding, yes, we do capital raises okay. um, on their behalf. We also have contacts with alternative funding source providers. So if they're not really good candidates for a traditional bank loan, they don't want to raise outside capital and dilute their equity, um, we can put them in touch with some alternative funding, mostly, you know, they're higher interest rate bridge bridge loans mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. so but i think so cash i think having enough cash because if you can't capitalize yeah. on opportunities if you do not have the money mm-hmm. and you're burning through too much cash you're just going to run out of money before you can yeah. actually no, I know. make it go right it's frustrating yes so i think cash flow is critical i think intellectual property mm-hmm. uh, so that's just not not only protecting the name of your business through trademarking but it's also making sure that you don't have employees that come in, you've trained them, you've taught them your methodology, and then they leave and I can just do this myself. And they take right. take valued team members and they take customers and clients. And I can't tell you how many companies come to us and they do not have restrictive covenant agreements with their employees or independent contractors that could easily basically walk away with and start their own company mm-hmm. and be an immediate competitor. That that is an easy solution. You get people to sign right. fair and reasonable documents when they go, join your team. Right. Um, so it's crazy not to do that. So that's two is 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 making sure you understand what you're. This is not about like you're... signing non competes. This is about no. It is about signing non competes. Oh, it's non competes as yes, well. Yes, that can be part of it. Do they hold it? up in the Absolutely. state of Florida? Absolutely, they do. Yeah. They just have to be reasonable in regards to duration. Right. Uh, anything under two years is assumed to be reasonable mm-hmm. and scope. So, you know, you can't, if you're just only operating in the Tampa Bay area and you say, you can't compete with me anywhere in the United States. I mean, this is totally unreasonable. There has to be a legitimate business interest that's protected by the non-compete. Right. Uh, but if you have a legitimate business interest protected by the non-compete, such as the fact that your salesperson knows all of your contacts, has Everybody on his Rolodex, right. that's an old word, <laughs> Rolodex. And I use that word too. Yeah, that's <laughs> A lot of people just look at me and yeah, like, what? Yeah, that's what when your 14 that? year old looks at you like, that's like mom, your is contact, that one of those your weird contact words? List. Your Google contacts. <laughs> yeah, now it's constant contact, okay? <clears throat> but anyway, yes, they are enforceable and they're really important too when you go to sell your business because when a buyer, we do a lot of due diligence for buyers, mm-hmm. when they go to look at your business to purchase, they don't want to be the bad guy and come in and say, hey, all of you need to sign restrictive covenants now. They want to know that those people, when they buy your company, can't just walk away, take all the intellectual property knowledge that's in their head and start a competitive business. So it's better just to do it from day one, get clarity with your employees that this is what you expect from them, that they're not going to go do X, Y, Z. You know, that there's actually no defense in the state of Florida to say, well, I can't otherwise make a living. That's not a defense or economic hardship to non-competes. So they have to be reasonable. They have to be legitimate business interests, but they are enforceable. Yeah. Yeah. So. So interesting. I mean, so it's cash flow. It's the industry relationships. Yeah. It's the um, 
protecting, you know, I think, it's understanding the, the value of intellectual property and protecting yeah. it. And How then about I, just basic HR? <laughs> HR is probably one of the hardest things that yeah. business owners frustra- get frustrated with. The, the Finding the right people, having the right people in the right seat, which is the common yeah. phrase, the emotional dynamics of the right. interpersonal issues and challenges that come with being a good manager. Most people are not right. trained to be managers, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's a difficult thing to do. I mean, I, I think managing people is one of the most difficult challenges of somebody who's trying to grow a business. Retaining, training, you know, and, and maintaining the good relationships with different employees. So putting your team, having an effective team, maybe that's number three, right? I mean, because at some point you cannot scale without an effective team that's executing for you. Mm -hmm. And if you have loose links in that chain, it will break down. So that's that's a tough one. If you look around, you don't have everybody is not a B plus or higher on your team, then you're going to feel it at some point. I agree. What do they say? Loose lips sink ships. That's another one of those phrases another where your kids look at you and phrases. go, what? I'm just so funny today. <laughs> well, great, Cheryl. We're here We're here with Cheryl Hunter, Hunter Business Law. We have one more segment after a few messages here. My name is James Ramos. You can follow me on Twitter at JRTPA. My website is jamesramos.com. Follow me. We help you whether it's buy, sell, design, build, finance, insure, furnish, and we also maintain homes as well. So, So give us a ring. Give me a tweet and we'll be back after these few messages and finish up this program. We're back here with Cheryl Hunter. How you doing, Cheryl? Doing great. All right. So we're going to finish this great hour. Uh, we're going to talk specifically about real estate in Tampa Bay. Okay. Love it. <laughs> yeah. And um, specifically commercial, because I know you have a lot of business clients and much of their growth relies on real estate, right? So you're constantly negotiating rental agreements. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, people at some point have to get out of their house or right. whatever small yeah. space that they're in. I mean, I went through it myself when I opened my firm doors, you know, I was in a uh, one office executive suite on Howard. It was perfect for a while, you know, and then I added an employee. So, mm-hmm. you know, then it was kind of, he worked off site for a while. And then I was like, okay, it's time to look at where we're going to go next. And uh, my personal, I like to own real estate. So right, I right. wanted to buy something. It took me Most almost a do, year right? to find a building to buy in two and a half years ago. Um, bought a property on South Dakota in between Kennedy and Cleveland. Mm-hmm. It was a 1950 bungalow. Um, it had been converted to commercial already, but I wanted to modernize it and have it, you know, mm-hmm. feel entrepreneurial, if you will, a little bit hip and chic. So we put quite a bit into the building. Now I'm outgrowing that one. (laughs) So I've got to now figure out what am I going to do? So I go back to looking at the typical option of you either purchase another building or you rent. And the rental rates are quite high. And then the mortgage interest rates are low. So it does seem to me preferable to purchase. But of course, I think that the market is high as well right now. So right. if you're buying a bigger building and selling a smaller one, I'd rather be in the reverse position. Yeah, I think there's more the, people who are looking yes. than want to oh, buy yes. or it's that want to sell. It's a seller's market. Yeah. And for the type of size building that I'm looking at, you know, four to 6,000 square feet, there's almost nothing on the market. 
I know it's tough right now because I know there's a lot of people that they're in a situation where they have enough to buy X amount of size, right? But Mm -hmm. they really would like to buy a little bit into the future and it's just impossible. Yes. Because that future could be, you know, let's say an extra three or 4,000 square feet and it just, it's just the amount, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. a boat. For every foot, it's what, ten, fifteen thousand dollars or something for a boat. And let's we're only talking about twenty to twenty three feet or twenty four feet. So for, you know, some of these office spaces, especially in the Tampa Bay area, I mean it's super expensive right now. Yes, it is. You so know, which is good yeah. because what, what ends up happening is is it ends up, you know, CAS now is is starting to develop, which CAS goes from the Jewish community center all the way into downtown, mm-hmm. which is the bridge, the CAS Street Bridge, which is in between UT and Yep. And Tampa Prep, which There's is actually good, a building for sale that I, I'm thinking about looking, looking at, at that yeah. is near the Jewish Center, which mm-hmm. is beautiful, the new JCC. It's an old bungalow. It looks like it needs a ton of work, but yeah. it's so close to Kennedy. I mean, it's literally yeah. like one block off of Kennedy. And I'm like, yeah, all the, north of Kennedy, oh no. But, <laughs> yeah. but all of that area is changing. Yeah, all the area. You know? West Tampa is a good place, you yeah. know, from a proximity to, to Tampa Bay. Yes. Or, to, you know, downtown and yeah. things. All up Florida Avenue. It's on Avenue Howard. I mean, well. so it's a busy street. It's on Howard or Armenia. Yeah. All those, all those areas. There's a big cigar factory that's been for sale for a long time. Mm-hmm. But you can't just tear that down. You have to renovate it. I, it's, it's I, I hope so. Because yeah. they're, they're such yeah. cool looking buildings. It's, it's, you know, so, you hate to lose too much no, of that. No, I know. That. It's like, I think there's been a lot of people who have looked at it that want to renovate it. But, you know, once you start putting the numbers in, you're like, oh, my well, God. And you don't always know what you're going to, you have it's to like expect. It's like a passion it's project. Be, it's a passion project. You need somebody with a lot of passion and a lot of money you know, <laughs> to what, do that. You know, what I found owning, we own a few buildings and it's like a separate business and it needs to be run a separate, you know, like a separate mm-hmm. business. So each, you know, building that we have is its own LLC. Yep. But it's, you know, at first I was like, okay, it's, it needs to be its own LLC because that's what the attorneys say, right? Okay, it's the insurance and so on right. and you get it done. And then literally like you start layering your admin or whomever's in the building, you know, consistently to start doing this and doing that and doing the other. And it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know, you would think that, oh, you just get the long guy and, you know, pressure washer, this, that, the other. And it just, it's just too much, you know? Yeah. So it's we have one guy that's like a property management guy that mm-hmm. literally does all of these things. And it's yeah. like a honeydew list. And yeah. it just that, never That guy ends. is my honeydew. My husband yeah. is the one who just gets the call. Like, no, um, not sure what's going on here, but the... <laughs> The gate is stuck. It's, just, it's a never-ending list. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you so. think you had the honeydew list at home, and now you own, your wife owns a building on top of it. Well, he owns it with me, so it's okay. But. So what potential disputes arise in commercial real estate, for example? Oh, your, gosh. Well, between yeah. landlord and tenant or just yeah. in general? Well, I, I've got actually a client who called me yesterday because – he owns his building. He owns his property. Next door is another property that is owned by someone who has a tenant. The tenant is uh, difficult in terms of for my client mm-hmm. for various reasons, including just garbage and stuff that attracts mosquitoes mm-hmm. and, you know, eyesore. But more recently, the landlord next to him had a survey done and discovered that my client is encroaching about a foot and a half into his property area with a fence, an expensive fence, if you were to have to move it. And it would be very disruptive from a parking standpoint if the fence had to be moved further into my client's property. 
So that's just one example of things that arise when you own real estate or you're leasing it or whatever that have to be dealt with. So that's just a kind of an easement issue or some way that we can show that it had been used for so many years that it's a constructive easement and it shouldn't be permitted or forced to move it. Or do we just see if we can buy it? You know, can you just buy that extra foot along the edge from that landlord? You know what I always thought was interesting in commercial real estate is, is, and before I was in real estate, I obviously needed real estate agents. And in one particular instance was this real estate agent who was helping me with commercial real estate. And I always just had a lot of examples and at-bats with residential side because my wife and I moved a lot Mm -hmm. throughout the country. So I said, hey, okay, put this contract together. I like this property and and I gave him all the conditions. He was like, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't put these contracts together. He goes, your attorney does. Mm-hmm. And I said, aren't you the real estate agent? Like, aren't mm-hmm. you helping me to, he goes, no, I, I, I don't put contracts together. I was like, what do you do? He goes, well, I showed <laughs> you the property. Yes. And they make, <clears throat> so it's like, it's like, oh my God, this is the great life, you know, yeah. to be a commercial, but I know it's much more analytical. It's well, very, I, think a, I think it's a numbers game. So yeah, I think what yeah. happens for commercial uh, agents is uh, so many of the deals fall through right. that they have to make their money on the ones that don't fall through. And, but it is significant. Like if I were to list, I listed my building right now, it's listed for sale by owner because I know how to do it because I've done real right. estate law for years. So I don't need it. But if I did need it, it it is frustrating to have to pay 6% of your building. So if you have a commercial agent who really is going to work hard, going to be great at research, helping you truly understand what the market's going to bear and depending on how fast you have to sell, it's it's more of a luxury. You can afford not to Mm -hmm. maybe be aggressive if you kind of want to sell, but you don't Mm -hmm. have to sell versus people who's like, I've got to get out of this now. So I think that plays into, you know, do you hire a commercial real estate agent or do you not? Yeah, well, you obviously don't see value in them adding anything to the sale of your home or your office. Not my office. No, I mean, I think would they maybe market it in a way that I'm not doing, but I'm not on a time crunch. Right, right. Either somebody's going to pay me what I want or they're not, you know, and I don't want to have to move off the price or get so much higher just to to deal with the 6% swag on that. Mm -hmm. But I I think for people who are not real estate attorneys, don't know, it's absolutely important to have a guide, whether that's a real estate attorney or a really good commercial real estate agent, I would just make sure that they're actually going to add value if you're going to hire one. So Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I could see in residential, it's changing quickly as well. You know, there's more, you know, they say the statistics are there's the same percentage of for sale by owners that there were 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But when you just paint a brush across the country, it really doesn't mean much to me. It's one thing is just a data point. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it specifically and you look at markets that we compete in, and you start seeing these trends. And if you start seeing a wave, when you start seeing people are convinced of like, hey, I can go put my home on the market, give it a shot for Maybe three the months. Maybe the bubble's coming. And then, you know, give it a shot for three months. Yes. And then if I don't get a bite, then I can go and hire mm-hmm. an agent or things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that type of stuff, it really draws more reliance to us, you know, in our industry to just say, hey, we really need to show value. Absolutely. We need to come with our full force, meaning meaning show our artillery, show the, the people in the background, show how we market, show the staff and all the, the, the features and benefits that we carry. Well, like my brother is looking to sell his house and he was told his realtor, I think, added value by saying, 
you really should consider just inexpensive upgrades to your kitchen. Exactly. If you would paint these cabinets white, you know, they right. are oak, it would totally freshen the yeah. space. And so I think that there's, those are also value add is yeah. or staging it or cleaning out the clutter so that yeah. the room looks more, the space looks more appealing. So that's part of it. It's not just how to price it. It's how yeah. the whole look needs to be in order to attract modern buyers. Exactly, Cheryl. And I'm here with Cheryl Hunter. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was, it was my pleasure. It was a lovely time. And exactly what you're saying at Ramos Design Build, Remax Beta Bay, and Dakota Kitchen and Bath, that's what we try to do for clients day in and day out. We help people, whether it's buy, sell, design, build, furnish, insure, finance, and maintain homes. And um, we're fully qualified. You can find us at jamesramos.com. My name is James Ramos. Follow me on Twitter at JRTPA. I'll catch you next week. Thanks for joining us today. If you missed all of the program or want to hear it again, listen to the podcast on jamesramos.com or on YouTube at Ramos Media Network. See you next week with Ramos Design Build, Tampa Bay's premier real estate design, build, and construction company. Homes are built to bring people together. It's the place that families gather to create memories that last a lifetime. With that in mind, you want a builder who requires a design to reflect your expectations. Ramos Design Build is that company. They understand this concept, offer a concierge level of service, ensuring that you are involved in every step of the design build process. Ramos Design Build integrates the latest in construction technology, building you a home that will last for generations. Ramos has a portfolio of satisfied clients from its decades of service in the Tampa Bay community. If you are looking for a luxury remodel, a home renovation, or a custom home built from the ground up, contact Ramos Design Build at RamosDesignBuild.com. That's RamosDesignBuild.com. Hi, my name is James Ramos. I am a licensed general contractor at Ramos Design Build. When someone asks why I do what I do, I am proud to say that I help bring families back to the table. And when you partner with Ramos, we make your family's home dreams a reality. Ramos Design Build, construction, development, and renovation. A legacy since 1956.